What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Down the Line. I'm your host, Kyle Betts, alongside Brevin Honda. Brevin, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm pretty... There were some moments this week that went away. Really great. Some good moments, some bad moments. But overall, it's you know a good week. Played some golf yesterday. Yeah. Nice. yeah, that's that's exciting. I know yesterday was also National Podcast Day, so yes. celebrating a little bit today as a result of that. Mm-hmm. And um, same for me. I, I would say, you know, it was a long week, but we get through it, and here we are on a Friday, and we are in the thick of things when it comes to the MLB season as well. It's the final weekend of the year. We got three games left for each team, and, man, it's really heating up, isn't it? It is. You think about the standings, um, only one division or one portion of the standings is actually really two portion of the standings has not been yet decided yet through 159 games. Um, think about who has already clinched in the div- clinch divisions. You got, you got the Milwaukee Brewers, they clinched, but uh, sacrificed with Devin Williams going down after the celebrations, um, hurting his arm, hurting his hand. He punched something. I he got mad after something. Um, but the Brewers clinched in the NL Central. The Braves clinched the NL East. Um, the Cardinals clinched the second wild card spot. Took him. They won 17 straight games to win the, that second wild card spot. The Astros won the AL West. The White Sox took the AL Central. The Rays have clinched the AL East. Now, the other two divisions, the other two races that need to be decided is at the NL West and the AL Wildcard. And in the NL West, the Giants, their magic number is two with three aims to play. So a Giants win and a Dodgers loss equals the Giants winning the division, which means the Dodgers would go to the NL Wildcard and face the St. Louis Cardinals uh, in L.A. Also, the Giants play the Padres for three games in San Francisco, and the Dodgers play the Brewers um, in L.A. Yeah, so, I mean, plenty of implications going on, you know, right now as well between, you know, both of these races. You already talked about those. But then also, you know, the teams that are playing these teams, fighting for spots in, in the wild card, um, trying to get the top of their division as well. Um, the Angels being one of them, and then you talk about how the Padres are involved in this as well. I mean, um, both teams with some opportunities to do some spoilers this weekend. Oh, for sure. You think about, yeah, we've already seen it this week with the Orioles doing it to the Red Sox, who are one of yeah. four teams in the mix for that, for those two wildcard spots with the Yankees, uh, the Blue Jays, as well as the Mariners, who looking at the standings right now here before play begins on Friday, the the Mariners are tied for the second wild card spot with the Red Sox 89 and 70. The Yankees have a two game lead and Toronto is one game back. So it's still possible for four teams to be tied for those two wild card spots. Yeah, it's definitely uh, going to come down to the wire this weekend. I think Sunday is going to be a crazy day because you talked about it, Brevin. We saw the Orioles kind of play that role earlier this week with the Red Sox. So I'm sure a lot of other things are going to go down to where the point where, you know, it, it's going to be tough to predict anything this weekend and we'll just let things play out. I know the Mariners are really making a push right now and that's insane. And Joe Madden is all in on 
trying to end those chances for them, which, you know, I'm, I'm in full agreement with too, but we won't see a Shohei Otani on the mound this weekend from that standpoint. But yeah, these races are absolutely crazy right now. Seeing the Cardinals resurgence on that big win streak they had, what was it? 17, 18 games. And then mm-hmm. and for that all to, you know, come crashing down just a couple of days ago, but them still being in the position for that wild card is incredible. I mean, they just put together an, an absolutely spectacular September. Yeah. You think about, you know, one of the things you always want for a team is you always want to get hot late, always in a season. You want to always get hot late. Yep. You know, no matter what sport it is, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, any sport, you want to get hot late because that way you have that momentum heading into the playoffs on top of, you know, on top of just getting into the playoffs, you have that, you know, positive energy going into um, the uh, possibly the hardest times of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, and you think about that with the Cardinals and all the other sports that we've seen teams get hot in, man, how important has it been for the Cardinals to get to that point? I mean, ridiculous and same with the Mariners you can say the same about them not really in a position to compete for the wild card but man they really did make a push this summer near the latter end and now with the same record as the Red Sox I mean it's all coming down to the wire here and what's different about the Mariners is you look at their run differential the Mariners have a minus 48 run differential you look at the team like a Blue Jays they have a run differential of plus 164 and they're chasing the Mariners. So it just shows you that, you know, the Mariners have gotten hot late, you know, and they found ways to win. They've won nine of their last 10. They've won four in a row. So it's, you know, it's going to be a huge race. And you look at this Mariners team, they've only scored 687 runs compared to the the Red Sox in Toronto scoring eight, eight, about 815 runs. And the Yankees have scored 705. So it just goes to show you that, it doesn't matter how you get there, just getting, it doesn't matter really how you get there. Yeah, most definitely. And seeing the Giants there with that win total of 105, man, just what a season it's been for them. You know, saw the tweet last night from, uh, I think it was AJ Casavell who said, you know, it was the uh, Giants who were supposed to be the Padres and the Padres were supposed to be the Giants this season. I mean, Brevin, when, when you see something like that, I mean, is that true to you? I mean, what are, you, what are your feelings about that? Pretty much. It just shows you how unpredictable a season is. And yeah. Unpredictable. Really, how long a 162-game season is compared to last year playing only 60 games. It really, right. um, it really shows you that. You know, we saw how good the parties were from April to June. We thought, okay, this could be a really great team, but, you know, how well can they extend that and finish the rest of the year playing the final 81 to 85 games? Yeah. And and you're you're totally right about that. I feel like that's what makes the giants such a fun team to watch is that they've been consistent nearly the whole season and we haven't seen them falter at all. I remember, you know, a couple months into the year, I was kind of thinking to myself, are they really going to be able to keep this up? But they have, and probably, have gone above and beyond doing so. I mean, 105 wins, they can get to 108 potentially, you know, and it's just a crazy position for them to be in. I think that um, they should come out on top of the West. Uh, it would really surprise me if the Dodgers somehow pulled it off this weekend and, and took that spot. But 
I think right now it's it's looking like it's going to be Dodgers Cardinals in, in that wild card game, and man, that's going to be a crazy game. There's no doubt about that. If if it did happen, and you're going to have a 17 win, 37 year old and Adam Wainwright on the mound throwing for the Cardinals to Yadier Molina, one of the best, one of the longest, most. Let me refer, let me figure out how to phrase this. The most starts between a pitcher and a catcher combo, or it's really close to the one of the top among most starts between a pitcher and a catcher. And we're really nearing that record for both of them. Yeah, for sure. One of the things too, with the last day of the year was implemented a few years ago was having this 12 o'clock start time on the West coast, three o'clock on the East coast, having this 12 o'clock start time on the final day of the regular season, because you uh, earlier you got to see, um, not about eight, 10 years ago, you got to see, you know, teams with the regular, with their regularly scheduled day games at whatever time they were, you know, 1120 for the White Sox on the West coast, um, having the, the night game on ESPN for Sunday night baseball. Now for the past few years, we've seen this, 12 o'clock start in the final day of the regular season. Um, Kyle, what do you think about having this 12 o'clock start? Yeah, you know, I, I'm actually a fan of it. So, you know, this being a segment of Fair or Foul, I, this, is, this is fair to me, man. I, I feel like this is really um, something that adds to the excitement of, you know, the season in which it, it's the final day. It, it Everything comes down to it, uh, especially for these teams fighting for, the top spot in the division and wild card spot. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of it because um, you don't, you don't see any results happen before um, a game is played or, or, you know, even after, you know, d- depending on what happens, but we, we've seen it in other sports too, in, in the premier league in England um, championship Sunday or survival Sunday, um, depending on which angle you look at it, all the teams play at the same time. So, um, you know, I'm personally a fan of it because, it's chaotic. Everything, anything could happen during that time because if you're competing for a win in this one game and there's another one going on, man, that that that's going to be crazy to be a part of. Now, now, I mean, I could see why people don't like it, but I'm a big fan of it. I, I think that um, if anything, it's just going to add to just the craziness surrounding the final day of the season, and especially if a lot of these teams have implications going into that to, to Sunday's game. We'll see what happens with that. But, Brevin, what do you think about it? Yeah, I totally agree. You know, you think about teams that have uh, playoff implications, as you mentioned. You think about, let's say, you know, if we take this this standings right now, let's say the Giants played their usual 1245 game. But let's say, knowing that the Dodgers are facing the Brewers, they might have had the Sunday night game, you know, right. based on the times a few years ago. Let's say – and, and both these teams are tied for the division. You know, the Dodgers would be watching the Giants and the Padres play, and they're hoping right. the Padres win because then they wouldn't have to worry that much about – actually, if the Dodgers – if I put it this way, let me phrase that. If the Dodgers had a one-game lead on the Giants right, or vice versa, and whoever had the later game would watch. And if that that team lost, then the Dodgers wouldn't really have to worry about this game because they would have already clinched before that exactly. game started. Right. Now, with this 12 o'clock start time, you have to play like, you know, you have to win in that mindset, in that mentality yeah. of this win now mode. 
yeah, I, I totally agree with you on that. And, you know, that also prevents, you know, potentially the Dodgers or whoever it may be in that situation from sending out their starters. Um, it could just be a bullpen game of sorts. So it just really adds to the excitement of that final day of the season. Uh, everything that, that the implications that surround it, I should say, and, you know, everything that comes down to winning on that day when it really matters, everything going down at the same time. And man, I couldn't imagine being in that position though, um, as a player on one of those teams, competing for a spot potentially in your own game, while also getting score updates on the scoreboard or anywhere else in the ballpark where they're showing the scores. That must be a crazy feeling to be a part of it if you're competing for a playoff spot or a position in the playoffs. Yeah, you would you you hear at a ballpark these random cheers like in the middle of a pitch of like what's going on, but then you right. realize you look at the score and then you see the other team is losing or winning, for example. You know, best example is 2011, that, that fight for the AL East. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it starts with the Orioles um, beating the Red Sox four to three on a walk-off in, in the ninth inning. And then you see, I think, the, I think the Rays were down seven to nothing. And they come back and win that game eight to seven. I'm pretty sure that helped them either clinch the wild card or it helped them um, clinch the division after. Um, yeah. And that was, that's probably one of the, um, let's see. No, that helped them win the wild card because um, the Red Sox were, uh, at that point, the Red Sox were 90 and 72. Right. And with that loss and with a raise a win, they, they move up over the Rays. Uh, they move over the Red Sox to get the wild card. And so, you know, it, that, that's part of one of the times where it was, um, you know, kind of similar to that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll see how that all plays out here this Sunday. If these teams are, you know, fighting for a spot in the playoffs, which I'm sure the ones that we've already mentioned will be, because baseball at the end of September, beginning of October, I guess, in this case, is absolutely wild. And I do not see that, um, you know, faltering. I'm pretty sure that's going to continue all the way through these playoffs, too. I think there's going to be some unexpected um, wins going on between all of these teams and some surprises as well, despite the teams who have put up all these really good records in the regular season. Now let's talk about the Padres a little bit, obviously. They are um, in a position in which, you know, 500 is uh, not looking likely at this point. But, man, it, it's, it's a sad spot for them. But, I mean, they do have the offseason to look forward to, improve their roster, potentially make some moves like we talked about in episode 14 last week. But the question that we have for you today, Brevin, I mean, kind of thinking about this is, can Fernando Tatis Jr. win the NL MVP despite the injuries, um, a little bit of struggles, you know, in the middle of the season? But do you think he's still in a spot to win MVP, or do you think someone else is going to take that? I think, I think over the last three months it's opened up, but I think it, just because as a as a team the Padres haven't done well, you know, Fernando got hurt too. Um, he's moved to the outfield as well, and so I think. In a way, because of 
all those things combined, it's opened the door for, you know, players like, for example, a Bryce Harper, for just as an example. Um, But when you really think about it as a whole, I don't really think so. I think Fernando's been the the clear-cut favorite all year. And, you know, I think, too, even this past week kind of may have hurt Fernando's chances a little bit, too, with him not starting on Sunday, with him not in the lineup on uh, Wednesday. And so that – and they had the off day uh, on Monday. And so I felt like those were six at-bats that he could have had that could have increased chances. But you think about what Fernando has done all year when, when healthy went on the field, he's helped put this team in position to win every single night. You think about those plays at shortstop that he's made the, the, the pretty much that quote unquote double leaping catch that he made that he had to stay in the air, um, stay in the air to, to get that timing on that line drive. I forgot who it was against it was similar to I think it was Jesus Aguilar a couple of years ago against the Brewers I think it's similar yeah. to that type of play um uh, you think about all the plays that he's made going to his left going to his right deep deep in the 5-5 hole um and then you think about his hitting you know even last night hitting that 400 supposedly a 467 foot homer over the against the Dodgers in last night's loss, it goes over the pavilion out in left field. You know, you think about, you know, the, and we'll I'll get more into this the multi homer games that he's had. You think about, uh, you think about what he's done for this game, getting the most votes at the All Star game among National League players. I right. think it's the I think Fernando's the favorite, but we'll have to see what these voters who they pick um, with voting ending on Sunday. Yeah. In, in my opinion, I, I don't think he's going to get there. I, I feel as if he stayed healthy, he could have. And then you also put the Padre success into it. I, man, as much as I want to say that shouldn't matter, I feel like it will just because of their downfall this season, everything that led up to it and how it happened. But um yeah, I, I do think Bryce Harper is going to win MVP. I think that he um, has probably stood out the most throughout the season. You take a look at what he's done. 305 batting average, 34 home runs, 82 RBI. So solid season from him. And then um, I think another candidate as well could be Juan Soto. Um, the season that he's had has been great. 318 batting average, 29 home runs, 94 RBIs. Um, good campaign for him. Still a young player. He's he's got a lot of growth left in him. He's the same age as us too. So that's that's pretty crazy. But as much as I do want to see Tatis get that MVP, I just don't know if he's going to be able to. You take a look at what he's been able to do. Go over his stats very quickly. I mean, 281 batting average, 42 home runs, 97 RBIs. So um, he's done some great things as well on on his end. And I think that also includes transitioning to the outfield. Obviously the Padres knew he could play the outfield, but I thought it was really impressive for him to, you know, go out there and make some plays despite playing shortstop his whole career thus far. But then moving back to shortstop, cleaning up those errors near the end of the season was good to see, but um, yeah, it's a tough call, I think on the end off side of things. And as much as I do want to see him get it, I just don't know if he will get the votes to, um, get to that point. Um, but you never know what could happen. 
um, and these MLP, these MLV MVP odds, um, a lot of different things happen every year, especially at the end of seasons with, with injuries and things of that sort. We've seen Mike Trout being in that position before, but right now the odds, Bryce Harper's favored minus 275, Juan Soto's plus 325, and then Fernando Tatis Jr.'s plus 600 odds on that. So Bryce Harper is a pretty heavy favorite right now. Um, if that's going to hold up, we'll see, but it's looking like Harper at this point, and I think it will be just because of the position the Phillies have been in the whole season, you know, kind of hanging around that wild card spot. They're not going to make the playoffs, obviously, but um, I don't know. We'll see what happens, Revan. I mean, I think it's going to be um, close. If, 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 if it, you know, if it is, then I think that um, that's even more encouraging for Tatis because next season he's going to do better. I, I really do feel like that because he, he definitely missed out on a lot of opportunities this season. I think too, you know, when you think about, you know, this is a 42 home runs to lead the national league. Um, yeah. And he's done this, you know, you think about all these qualifiers too, that have done this, they all have 10 or 20 more games ahead of Fernando because of those injuries getting COVID as well. And then you just see him put up 42 home runs to still have 131 hits, 99 runs, you know, he probably wants to have another run, you know, to put up, get to 100, get to 100 runs scored, get to um, 30 doubles here in 2020, 2021. Um, you know, I think it's going to be, I think getting those type of milestone markers uh, only adds to his resume on top of having a six and a half wins above replacement, which is around leading the league or it's really close to that yeah it'll definitely be close I, I think that um Tatis definitely should you know finish second if not third I, I think that he's in a great spot to even can compete for the for that honor of winning MVP I, I wouldn't be surprised if he still got there but it just really comes down to what these these voters decide on um you talk about what he's been able to do um, all season and um, his home run total just speaks for itself 42 bombs this year and everything he was able to do for the Padres at the beginning obviously that kind of um, came to a brief end it seemed like but um, I think he's in a great spot to claim that title if if he were to end up getting first I, I think that it wouldn't be surprising to anyone um, I, I think that a dark horse kind of guy you know as well um, could be Pete Alonso. I mean, his average isn't great. It's 259, but 37 home runs, 92 RBIs. He, he's put together a good season as well. So even that or Max Muncy, you could even argue. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think that those three that I talked about, Harper, Tatis, even Soto, um, that's kind of the trio that I'm looking at right now to finish in that top three. And I really do think it's going to be Harper or Tatis at that top spot. We'll just see what happens. Mm -hmm. If Fernando does receive MVP honors, he would be the first Padre since Kim Cam and Nettie in 1996 to receive um, nationally MVP honors. It, we talked about this a few weeks ago. It seems like Otani is going to win MVP on the American League side. You agree, Cal? Yeah, I think no doubt about it. Just everything he's been able to do this season. 
um, on the mound, at the plate. It speaks for itself. Everyone knows what he's done. I don't even need to talk about it. Um, I can talk about his stats, though, real quick. 45 home runs, 99 RBIs. Hopefully he's able to get to 100 this weekend. That would be great. Um, he's got past that 25 stolen base mark that we talked about. Um, and he even eclipsed that. I think same game he got another one. So he's at 26 now. And you talk about his pitching. He He's um, not going this weekend against the Mariners. Unfortunately, I wanted to see him out there. But um, what he was able to do at, on the mound was sensational as well. Um, I mean, just everything you want in a pitcher. He, he's got the stuff. He's got a um, nasty splitter. And it, it everything proves itself. Nine wins, two losses, 3.18 ERA, ERA and... 156 strikeouts in 130 innings, and he's more than deserving to get it. There's been uh, some quotes about him, you know, talking about how he wants to win, and that's going to affect his decision after next year when he enters free agency. So, I don't know. Joe, Joe Madden better figure it out. <laughs> I think that uh, Shoei Otani is no doubt the MVP in the AL. Vladdy had a great year, but it's Shohei for sure. Did you hear what Mike Trout said about uh... – about his his thoughts on the MVP race, I might have. What did he say again? He said, uh, he said, Otani's the MVP. He's just a true. This is Trout's words. He's the MVP. He's just a truly talent, amazing talent. What Valdi's doing over there is unbelievable, and he's in the race. His his offensive numbers might be a little bit better than Otani, but when you look at Vladdy's pitching, and I haven't seen him pitch. <laughs> yeah, I. I... <laughs> I think I actually did see that quote. I just forgot about it. Um, he, he's totally right about that. And that's that's ultimately what it comes down to. Shohei winning the MVP here is his pitching because, you know, you look at what Vladdy's been able to do. It's been better than Otani at the plate. 313 with 46 home runs, 107 RBIs. Um, he doesn't have uh, – the legs that Otani does, he only has four stolen bases, but I mean, you talk about what he's been able to do this season. It's been absolutely unreal, especially at that age of just 22 years old as well. All these young stars in the game, just um, making waves. I think it's great for the MLB, but um, I think Shohei is going to take it for sure, just because of what he's been able to do on the mound. He's the ace for the angels. There's absolutely no doubt about it. He would be an ace on any team. And it's just disappointing because I know that he would have more wins to his name if the Angels lineup wasn't as bad as it is. And that's that's a fact. That's just, that's just how it is. Like, it, it's completely true. It was so disappointing to not see him get 10 wins the other day, especially, you know, after I think it was 10 strikeouts and he only gave up uh, one or two runs. Can't remember who it was against, but um, got out of a jam, I think, in the eighth inning and he was just absolutely fired up and, they ended up losing an extra innings, and that that hurt me because I really wanted to see him get that 10th win. But he's more than deserving just because of what he's able to provide anywhere on the baseball field. I mean, he played outfield this season so many different times, too. Like, who would have thought you'd see him out there at any points? But he can make plays out there, too. He's just – he's everything you want in an athlete. Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to move on real quickly. Um, we're going to come back to the Angels. Um we're going to do our top five moments from the 2021 regular season. I'm going to do mine from the Padres. Kyle's going to do his from the Angels. And I'm going to go five to one here for the Padres. And number five on my list 
is Jay Cronenworth's uh, his cycle in uh, Washington D.C. against the Nationals, and you know you see him get that cycle. You know, just following the All Star break after him being in Denver for the All Star game, you see him become. I think it was I think it was the second player to hit for the cycle after playing in the All Star game, and think about getting the double, getting the triple at um, Nationals Park. You see him hit the home run, and then you see him hit a a huge ball that pretty much to shortstop, and you see him get that cycle. You know, it's kind of another top moment, a historic moment. The Padres get their third. Jake Cronenworth hits the Padres' third cycle and. Team history that is number five on my list. Number four has to be um, Daniel Camarena's Grand Slam against Max Scherzer that we described on our show uh, back in July. Um, and that whole setup part of the 9 8 walk off win courtesy of Trent Gershom. I think when you think about a pitcher hitting Grand Slam off an NL Cy Young candidate off Max Scherzer, that was so special. And you know, you think about all the 2020, you think about San Diego, no one got to see that in person in 2020, and people got to see that in 2021 with hits, the Grand Sims, like those, like one up, like that of Daniel Camarena hitting at, at Petco Park. Um, it was so fun. And then as a result of that, Don Arcello, Mark Grant, Bob Scanlon, the Padres um, broadcasters um, are doing a charity walk from uh, the East County at Alpine, well, way out East County, all the way to Petco Park, supporting um, one of the children's hospitals here in San Diego. So that's uh, part of the uh, uh, benefit to that. And um, going back to Jake Cronenworth, I think what was so special about Jake this year was if you think about the Crohn zone and, you know, that was so special too. I mean, as much as, you know, we talk about Fernando, we talk about Manny, you think about Jay Cronenworth and his specialty that you know hitting into the crone zone, taking balls low and in and taking it out into right field. All right, number three on my list has to be Fernando's uh, two home runs on the same day on his dad's two grand slams on the same inning at Dodger Stadium, April 23rd. Uh, th- earlier this year, hit two home runs off Clayton Kershaw. I'm pretty sure both were off Clayton Kershaw. And that was so wonderful to see, especially with the way the Padres played that that time of the year against the Dodgers to win. I think it was six of the first seven mat- games against the Dodgers, something like that, or seven of the first ten. It was, you know, that was um, so good to see. Number two, I'm gonna have to go with San Diego's their their second opening day, the first full capacity crowd at Petco Park, and to, to see. Um, Victor Carantini hit that walk-off home run. To see the joy in everyone's face was so unbelievable. I wasn't at that game. I was watching that game. I saw Victor Carantini's homers that happened on TV. It was so fun to see. And then number one, hands down, is uh, the no-hitter from Joe Musgrove. You know, the first road game of the season. Um, Really didn't know what to expect playing the Texas Rangers inside their new home ballpark. And... Joe Musgrove comes out and throws a no hitter, the first in uh, the first in team history. And out of all the pitchers that the Padres have acquired over the last couple of years, you think about Mike Clevenger, you think about Blake Snell, you Darvish having the Chris Paddock, Ryan Weathers having 
all these different pitchers on this ball club and out of all of them it's joe musgrove who is a local guy from san diego comes out and throws a no hitter and those are my top five moments uh from 2021 yeah a lot of really good uh moments on that list and i totally agree with you um on that i mean just some sensational games this year from the padres despite the uh disappointing ending I, I do feel like that no hitter really tops it all um on that day april 9th just i remember watching the ninth inning and it was just so sensational i was back at home i wasn't even in san diego but i go on twitter right after the game and i just see padres fans celebrating like crazy um people out in the street celebrating and it just seemed like so much fun to be a Padres fan at that moment and just be a part of that experience, finally getting that no hitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also that Caratini walk up home run on reopening day. Yeah, that was, that was epic. Um, I remember watching that as well, just sensational, but a lot of good moments for the Padres. All right. Now Kyle is going to give his top five angels moments from this year. Kyle, what do you have? Yeah. So actually the first one is, it's technically a top moment, but it's a negative moment. And that is May 17th. That's the last day Mike Trout played for the Angels. And I just say that because it was such a big moment in terms of the Angels season. They, for the next two months, it really seemed like they were hanging around that 500 range and they were getting wins when they needed to. But with the absence of Mike Trout, you lose half of your lineup, it seems like. And Um, The calf strain proved to be worse than everyone initially expected. It was so disappointing to see him go down like that and for him to miss the time because I know how much he wants to win, how much he wants to be out there and play. He's a competitive guy. And um, to see him go down in that that way to an injury like that is just so disappointing. We saw it with Donaldson a few years back as well. But, man, it, it was tough to see that. I think that was massive in terms of the Angels season, what they were and weren't able to accomplish just because of that moment in itself. Number four, I, I think that it's going to be kind of a mixture of dates and gosh, I don't even, I don't even, I had the dates written down. I can't remember when it was, but um, I think it was August 1st for Joe Adele and I think July 17th for Brandon Marsh. I'm gonna put those two together that's when they were called up to the angels obviously marsh getting called up for the first time and then joe adele being recalled up after last season he struggled last year but he was called up i believe on august 1st this year and um just so much fun to watch those two out there um two of the angels top prospects going out there after competing in triple a for the first portion of the year and just seeing what they were able to do as well was was really cool i think as well um brandon marsh this season um, having having a solid year, I would say, for, for his first, you know, rodeo, 260 batting average, two home runs, 17 RBIs. And then Joe Adele has been so much better than he was last season. It was a weird year last year anyways, but 246 with four home runs, 26 RBIs from him. So he was a little more productive at the plate. But, you know, you talk about each of them, what they both possess, two young, energetic players that want to win and um, I think they're, they're going to be good counterparts to Mike Trout for years to come. And that is depending if uh, 
Upton is playing a lot next year as well. I, I think that he will. It's his last year of uh, Justin Upton's contract, but if you have those two out there as well as Mike Trout, that's a pretty solid outfield. You could also use one of them to trade if you wanted to for starting pitching. So a lot of different options for the Angels at their disposal for the outfield, I think. So I think I feel like that was a really big moment for them as well, getting those two acclimated in the majors, Marsh for the first time, Adele for the second time. And then the next two moments I have on here, I'm going to go for June 4th which is when the Angels took on the White Sox. And my gosh, that, that just really sticks out to me. What a game that was. Rysel Iglesias came in the game, bases loaded in the eighth inning. Actually, yeah, eighth inning. And got out of it. Sensational. He, I think he got a couple ground balls out of it. and um, He worked his way out of it. He was fired up. And it was crazy. Angels still had that lead going into the ninth inning. He comes back out there in the ninth, and he gets them. He he gets all of them, and just working his way out of that of, of that, um, getting that save was just sensational to watch. And the energy level, I think, both in in the stadium and um, everything he was able to do um, on the mound that day, put himself in a position to where he could get that six out save um, was really cool to me. So. That, that's a game that really sticks out to me as well. Angels winning 3-2 over the White Sox with that Iglesias performance there with the six-out save. I think the next one would have to be a couple weeks later after that, June 30th. It was a game against the Yankees, and the Yankees went up 7-2 after the first inning. Classic Angels start, by the way. And... Some runs dispersed here and there throughout the game. You know, Angels come up in the, I believe it was the eighth inning, and absolutely sensational comeback from them as well. It's eight to four at that point. Walsh hits a grand slam to tie things up. I think it was Rengifo and Taylor Ward. They provide a couple other runs to give the Angels an 11 to eight lead. Iglesias comes in in the ninth, gets the save. I mean, you can't ask for more out of that. Just an incredible, you know, performance there in the eighth inning, especially Jared Walsh showing off why he deserved to be an all-star. I think that really solidified it for him. So that win really stands out to me. Um, scoring seven runs there in the eighth inning and ending up getting that save against the White Sox. That was a big win for the Angels at the time. So I'm going to say that win on June 30th was number two. And then my number one moment, is going to have to be Shohei Otani related, of course. I'm going to put that on September 21st. Um, that's when he got his 45th home run against the Astros. And there are a lot of other moments I could talk about this season from Shohei Otani, but that one really stands out to me most just because we haven't seen an Angel get 45 home runs since Mike Trout did in 2019. Um, I think that was against the Astros when he got that. But seeing another player other than Mike Trout get to that point was incredible and I feel like everything that Otani did at the plate and even on the mound for that matter um, this season kind of really cultivated in that moment getting 45 and now he has 46 hopefully he's able to get 47 um, to uh, tie Troy Gloss but um, 
watching everything he was able to do at the plate this season, just in general, is a top moment in itself. And I'm excited to see what he's able to do next season, hopefully with a full lineup. And the Angels are in a better position than they were this year to compete for the playoffs, at least, because it was a disappointing end of the year. And um, I know that expectations will be high next season with Joe Madden at the helm. So um, I think that number one moment, 45 home runs from Shohei Otani is probably the best way to kind of recap the season that he had. And like I said earlier, everything he did speaks for itself. He's going to win MVP and um, I'm happy about that. Obviously you want to see the angels win too, but at least you got that. So be grateful for what you got, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And I think about, you know, even that 470 foot Homer that he had, that Otani had as well, that stands yeah. out. Part sure. of the 40, part of one, that's only just one of the 45 homers that he had. All right, next week, we're going to recap our top five moments from the entire 2020 Major League regular season. So stay tuned for that next week, but we will come right back. We'll take a quick commercial break, and we come back, we're going to talk some football, both at the college level and the NFL for this weekend. everyone welcome back to down the line welcome to our uh, the second half of our show kyle betts and i are here we're going to talk some college football now talking some baseball making the case for fernando tatis jr mvp talking uh the mlb standings who will take the final couple of spots and where each team will stand we talked about the al wildcard race and the nl west with the giants and the dodgers now let's talk some football and we had some really good college football games this weekend, a couple of SEC games as well. Um, actually, a couple of not SEC, but uh, but one SEC game that we have to talk about is a couple of top 10 teams facing each other. It's number eight, Arkansas, heading to number two, Georgia. This kicks off on Saturday morning at 9 a.m. game. College game day will be there. Um, Kyle, what do you see for this game? Man, this is going to be an incredible game, and regardless of who wins, it's going to be exciting. I don't know if there's going to be a lot of points on the board because these two defenses are really nice, but, man, I, I know that last week um, I took Texas A&M to win, and it, w- it was a close game for the most part. Arkansas ended up winning 20-10, to 10, but, man, I, I think they're a legit team now. The way that they were able to crush Texas the way they did, 
a strong solidifying win against AM. I, I as much as I want to take Georgia here, I, I think I might go with the upset. I think Arkansas has shown enough to me offensively. They they got the run game going. Their quarterback made some really good decisions. Now the thing is, are they going to be able to get past that Georgia defense? And they have one of the best defenses in the league, in the nation for sure. I think no doubt about that with their experience. And I think if JT Daniels is able to, you know, be safe with the football, not turn it over, make the right decisions, not take sacks. Um, I, I think that they have a good chance of winning, but I'm going to be a little frisky here and, and go for the upset. I got Arkansas. I've, I think they've shown me enough. On this one, I'm going to have to go with um, Georgia. This is a team that, you know, only gives up five points, barely six points a game, you know, and on the time that they have cl- reached or time they scored the closest to six points, their defense has come up and only allowed a field goal. That was against Clemson um, to start off the year. And you think about the way um, Georgia's played after that game against Clemson. They beat UAB 56-7, beat South Carolina. The Gamecocks 40-13 and shut out Vanderbilt 62-0. I feel like this team, you you know, they have what it takes to win. And, you know, they're trying to go after a national championship. And I think you know, this is just another test and part of that road for Georgia to get to a national championship and get to a college football playoff. You know, they've gotten there in the past, but, you know, they want to get, they want to uh, move further within that college football playoff. And I got Georgia winning this game here. All right. Yeah. Next. yeah you, you, what, just real quickly, Brevin. I mean, you talk about what they will be able to do this season. I think that if Georgia does win this game, there should be no doubt that they make the college football playoff. And I mean, they got Florida still left on the schedule, but Florida's a top team in the country. So especially if they win that game too, there's no doubt about it. But I think this is going to be one of the biggest tests for them. We'll see how good their defense actually is because they've played a couple schools that are, eh, whatever. Clemson not being one of them. Clemson's legit. I mean, they've suffered, you know, some hardship so far this year, but I, I still think that they're a solid team. But, you know, regardless, I, I think that if Georgia is able to win this game, I think that they are in a really good spot to make the college football playoff, and that will give them a lot of good momentum heading into the latter part of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, Georgia does take on Florida October 30th, so at the end of this month. All right, game number two, we go we go to the AAC for Cincinnati. They're taking on number nine, Notre Dame in this one, and should be a great game. NBC at, on uh, tomorrow, 11.30 a.m., about 24 hours from now. It's 11.19 here on the West Coast. Um, Kyle, what do you see in this game? Yeah, last week, I think Wisconsin was a three-point favorite or a six-point favorite against Notre Dame, and I wasn't too sure why because Notre Dame, they still have a legit team. I know that they've been in a lot of close games this season, and we've talked about that, but um, – man, they, they really showed out last week. And especially defensively in the latter part of the game, in the second half, they just absolutely took over. And that's especially led by their safety, Kyle Hamilton, first-round draft pick, no doubt about it. He's going to be a fantastic pro player. But this game is going to be a lot of fun. I don't know what to expect out of this one. I think I'm going to take Notre Dame on this one. But, again, you, you go back to Cincinnati – and Desmond Ritter is an absolutely 
he's a stud. There's no doubt about that. He can he can do anything on the field. He's a dual threat guy, and um, they got the receivers to do it as well. Michael Young, Alec Pierce, both solid guys out there. But man, I, I think it's going to be hard to stop uh, Michael Mayer out there. And then that Notre Dame defense has looked even better, I think, from the beginning of the season. And of course, that's what you want, you know, out of your team to get better as the season goes on. But I think we're seeing it in real time. So just because of those reasons, I'm going to take Notre Dame. Um, would not be surprised if this game is incredibly close, but at the same time, I think Notre Dame could also run away with it at the end. Brevin, what do you think? You know, it's going to be a good game when, when you see a TV, when you see a college football game on NBC. Yeah. <laughs> not ABC, not, you know, CBS, not ESPN, but you yeah. see this game on NBC. and Classic Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I think, to be quite honest, I'm going to have to go with Notre Dame on this one. I think, God, just for the reasons that you mentioned, and, you know, it starts with their defense and what they've been able to do. Um, that's helped them, you know, uh, blow out Wisconsin last week, 41-13, and they take care of business against Purdue, against Toledo, you know, as we've mentioned over the last couple of weeks. So I've got Notre Dame on this one, and – and the third game that we're going to cover in college football, number 21, Baylor at number 19, Oklahoma State. This game on ESPN2, an afternoon game on the West Coast, Saturday at 4 p.m. tomorrow. Yeah, this one is going to be interesting. I, I really don't know what to expect out of this one. I think I'm going to take the Bears on this one. I'm going to go with Baylor. They have been in a couple close games this year so far. They won by nine against Texas State in week one. And then they ended up beating Iowa State last week by two. So that was a closer game than I expected, I think, um, especially considering Iowa State was so heavily favored, you know, ranked at the beginning of the year. But then you look at Oklahoma State as well. They've been – every game they played in has been pretty close for the most part. Beat Missouri State by about a touchdown. Tulsa by five. They beat Boise State by one, and they beat K-State by 11. I think that this is Baylor's game to lose here. Even though they're playing on the road, I, I think that Baylor could get the job done. They have a decent rushing attack. They're going to be able – if they're going to be able to get 100-plus yards on the ground, I think they'll be okay because uh -huh. uh, Gary Bonahan, he, he's, he's, been, he's been good for them so far this season, and um, I think – they're able to keep that up. Abram Smith, you know, putting some work on the ground. I, I think that they'll be in a good position to win. Um, I don't know how close this game is going to be. I, I, it's that's tough to predict because these two teams are um, so different. But I'm going to go with Baylor on the win for this one. What do you think, Brevin? Yeah, I think I think I'm going to have to agree on this one. I think the key is going to is going to come from the running game, as you mentioned. You know. Oklahoma State's a team that has only allowed 87 yards on the ground this year. And yeah. if 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 um, Baylor could reach 100 yards on the ground, that's going to be key and help them get the W. Um, as you mentioned, Smith has, uh, as he's mentioned, uh, five touchdowns this year to go with 413 rushing yards. So it's going to be huge for Baylor if he can um, uh, get, you know, achieve those marks that he's had and 
the past few weeks. So I'm going to go with Baylor on this one as well. We're going to cover more college football next week, some more um, ranked games to follow as we start getting into conference play for teams. And all right, now let's move to the NFL. We got some great matchups this weekend. We got the four AFC West teams playing against each other, the Cardinals and the Rams uh, in LA and the Seahawks taking on the 49ers in Santa Clara. Kyle, when you think about the Cardinals and Rams, how do you see this one uh, taking shape? Man, this is a really interesting game here. All these teams in the NFC West are very good. And that just shows itself, you know, based on the records, based on how they've done so far this season. I mean, seeing the Seahawks, I think right now, last in the division is pretty crazy. But I mean, at the same time, it's a dogfight for sure. No doubt about that. The Cardinals have been in a couple close games so far this season. Um, you talk about what Kyler Murray has been able to do. He's a winner, and he's shown that so far. Um, that comeback against the Jags, I, I feel like that was really big in terms of um, their future success and the momentum that they need heading into this game. And the Rams, on the other hand, have been just absolutely electric. I think no doubt about that. Um good win against the Bears, Colts, and then last week as well. I mean, that Bucks win. I thought that they would end up winning that game, but to see them actually um, go on the field and, and, you know, make a statement the way they did, especially defensively, was really cool to see. I think that the Rams should take this game. I think home field advantage is going to be big for them. As long as they are able to contain Kyler Murray, and I mean that literally and figuratively, they need to keep contain on him. Don't let him get outside, make plays with his legs, even spy him if you need to, because he's going to be able to do anything at any time if he wants to. I think Matt Stafford and that offense is so high powered. They're going to have their way when they want it to, but I think the Rams are going to be tested defensively. If they're able to be successful, then I think they're going to win the game. I think Rams by seven. That's my guess. What do you think, Brevin? I think the key matchup in this, in this game is going to be – Jalen Ramsey going up against DeAndre Hopkins. I think that's going to be the key matchup. Um, knowing you know, the type of receiver that DeAndre Hopkins is, you know, especially the type of plays that we've seen him make over the last few years. And I think because of that, you know, if Kyler Mur- if the Cardinals want to win, they're gonna to have to find Christian Kirk um as yeah. much, knowing that Matt, knowing that that matchup's going to take place, finding Christian Kirk, using Chase Edmonds, but I don't know if that's going to be enough against the Rams who beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last week um, with Cooper Cup, with Robert Woods. I feel like I feel like with Matthew Stafford, he's got to be able to find Robert Woods some more. He's found, he's found Deshaun Jackson. He's found Cooper Cup. I feel like he's got to use Robert Woods a little bit more in the past game. And I think if they can do that on top of, if Matthew Stafford could do that on top of finding cup on top of finding the Sean Jackson, you know, it's going to help this Rams team moving forward. Yeah. And you, you talk about where Jalen Ramsey's going to be lined up. I, I actually do think he's going to be on um, Hopkins this entire game last week. He was kind of everywhere on the field um, because of Godwin, because of Edwin uh, Evans. Um, even there are other guys like Tyler Johnson, Scotty Miller, when he was out there at times, he can play anywhere on the field. He can guard anyone. But I think this week the main focus is for sure going to be on Hopkins. So he's just going to be keyed in on him 
And you're totally right when you say you need guys like Christian Kirk to, to step up. Even Rondell Moore, A.J. Green, like you got some really good receivers at your disposal and Jalen Ramsey's not going to be able to cover them all. And I think he's going to be on Hopkins a majority of the game. So that'll be fun. I think that matchup is just going to be some pure physical football that we should all see um, when a corner is facing a wide receiver. I think it's going to be a good battle for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Next game, uh, we stay in the a- NFC West. The Seahawks going to Santa Clara after their tough 31-30 loss last week to the Tennessee Titans. They're taking on the San Francisco 49ers, who also lost on a last-second field goal um, to Mason Crosby and the Green Bay Packers on Sunday night football last week. Um, Kyle, how do you see this one shaping up? Yeah, this is going to be another interesting game just because these two teams are pretty evenly matched. I don't think there's a doubt about that. Um, you talk about the Packers comeback last week. That was, that was tough to watch, especially if you're a 49ers fan. Um, I didn't have any doubts. I, I knew I knew Aaron was going to get it done because this is what he does every week. But um, so far this season, Niners have been in a couple of close games other than that. I mean, that one was extremely close in itself, but won by a touchdown against the Lions, actually by eight, and then they won by six against the Eagles. So they do have some wins under their belt, which is very important, but I think it's going to come down to the run game. They couldn't figure it out really that much last week, and I don't know if, uh, what's his name, Elijah? Elijah Mitchell. Elijah Mitchell, yeah. I don't know if he's going to play um, or if Trey Sermon is going to end up getting – the majority of the carries we saw Sermon struggle a little bit last week so I think that's going to be important because that's so essential to the Kyle Shanahan offense is those little those uh creative runs um getting guys out in space we saw use check step up big time last week too I think both in the run and passing game he was lining up at running back next to Jimmy G but the Seahawks you take a look at what they've been able to do Vikings are a solid team that was that was a tough loss um, that overtime loss is, I think that's going to hurt them, especially in terms of how competitive this division is heading forward. This is tough to predict, but I'm going to go for the 49ers on this one. I, I think that um, both of these teams are coming off two tough losses. And just because the Niners are back at home, I think that really gives them a big advantage in this game. Now for the Seahawks to lose three in a row would be detrimental, but we've already seen it with teams like the Colts. So I think that anything like that is very possible. It just depends how well their defense plays and if they can if they can stop the run. And I think that's the key to the game for the Niners. So I'll take the Niners on this one. What do you think, brother? Yeah, this is going to be another neck and neck game. I think you know a, a an inner division game. You know, with obviously you know to take that one up seriously. Hopefully. You can win the second game as well coming up between these two clubs. I feel like, you know, this is a game for how monumental this game is. I feel like this is the opportunity for Russell Wilson to get back on track, to get his team back on track. And I think because of that, I feel like the Seahawks are going to win this game. I feel like if Russell Wilson can – find Tyler Lockett, he could find DK Metcalf and, you know, on top of getting Chris Carson going in the run game, I think it's, that's going to be huge for um, this Seahawks game, but don't be surprised if this is a high scoring game, you know, with these two type of offenses, 
um, beats with the Niners and with the Seahawks. Yeah, I'm fully expecting to see another Chris Carson touchdown because it seems like he scores every week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we go to another team that is one and two and slumping a little bit. We, we're going to talk about the Chiefs as they head to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles. And can Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs get back on track? They should be able to. I, I think that there's no doubt that they should be. I, I think their team is definitely good enough to beat a team like the Eagles who have, you know, struggled recently. They're one and two and they're coming off a big loss against the Cowboys. And I already mentioned the Niners loss as well. And just talking about that game in which the Eagles lost to the Cowboys, we saw a decent game from Jalen Hurts. He got a lot of passing yards, but he wasn't as electric on the ground as he has been in other games. And other than that, they just didn't run the ball at all. They weren't really in a position to because they were down the entire game. But um, those turnovers were killer to them, especially when trying to come back in that, in that matchup. So, I think what's going to be important for the Eagles is getting their wide receivers involved. I mean, I just haven't seen enough out of Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager yet. And, of course, Mm -hmm. they've been getting, like, what, probably three, four targets a game, if not a couple more than that. But it's just not enough because those targets aren't being completed either. And with this offense, you know, coming from the Chiefs, that's going to be tough to stop. So how how is the Eagles offense going to be able to counter – the high-powered offense of Andy Reid is the biggest question here. So I think for those questions that are unanswered and might not even be answered at all, I'll take the Chiefs on this one. They should win pretty comfortably. I don't know by how much, um, but the Eagles could, you know, surprise them a little bit. They could, they could definitely test them. There's no doubt about that. They got the roster to do so. Um, but I just think that the Chiefs' offense is going to be too good to stop. What do you think? Yeah, this is the third time the Kelsey brothers get to face off. You know, Travis Kelsey from the Chiefs going against Jason Kelsey, and in those first two games, Travis has won both of those matches against his older brother, and I feel like that could be 3-0. I think with the way Patrick Mahomes is played and we know his ability to play – play football we know that no doubt this team can get back on track it's just a matter of when they get back on track yeah Tyreek Hill is probably going to be up against Darius Slay but uh, a good part of the game but I I don't think that really matters because you have Travis Kelsey because because of that you can um, you have to get Clyde Edwards Hilaire going yeah he was great last week but we want to see him take continue that here in this second this next week yeah, and I think also you, you talk about getting more guys involved. I think what's been important for the Chiefs, despite their, you know, losses recently, has been involving more Hardman, Pringle, yes. even Demarcus Robinson as a part of that offense because they just have speed all over the field, and the Eagles secondary does not have speed. So I think that's going to be important to exploit if you're the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. All right, we are going to go to the Broncos as they host the Baltimore Ravens. They take on Lamar Jackson. Kyle, what do you think about the Broncos hosting uh, the Ravens? Oh, man, this is going to be a great game. I I don't know who's going to end up winning. If I had to, you know, predict it, I would probably take Baltimore by three. 
I think it's going to be really close. So I, I think the Broncos playing at home is just such a big advantage for them, both because of altitude and the home crowd is always so loud, um, especially on defense. Man, it's it's crazy to be a part of that environment. But I just don't know how they're going to stop Lamar Jackson. I think he's too electric to stop. I wouldn't be surprised if he puts a couple guys on skates really early on. I think if he's able to get into the secondary, that's going to be even more important because, you know, this is a lot of players in the secondary, they're used to arm tackling. You're not going to be able to do that against this kind of guy. So you got to be able to break down and, and finish the play. But it's, it's going to be tough because I don't know if the Broncos offensively, if they're going to be able to have the same success that they have throughout the season. Teddy Bridgewater has been consistent, but last week I, I think a big worry was the inability to finish drives. They did settle for a lot of field goals against the Jets, and you're not going to be able to do against these AFC North teams with the Ravens and Steelers in these next couple of weeks. You're going to have to finish drives. You've got to put the ball in the end zone. I mean – Obviously, getting three out of the drive is a positive, but I think it could hurt them at the end of the day, especially against these better teams. Um, if the run game gets going, that's going to be big for them. But I, I think that um, the Ravens' defense is going to first force a turnover or two, and that's going to be the reason they end up winning the game by three, maybe seven. I think it's going to be really close, though. It's It's a tough game to predict. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it's so tough. We've been the Vegas or odds don't even know because this game isn't even right wow. now. I think Kyle, you pretty much mentioned it. I think the key in this game is going to be the Broncos defense and how well they're going to be able to contain uh, Lamar Jackson. And I think the one receiver uh, for the Ravens that you have to watch for is Hollywood Brown, knowing yeah. how much how efficient he's been in terms of getting open for Lamar Jackson to throw the ball to him. I think that's going to be the key um, amongst the receivers, um, knowing that, you know, they don't have as much – the running back isn't much there. It's just Lamar Jackson going to be running the ball. So I think that's going to be keys. You know, that good Broncos defense really in their first big test so far this year is they try to go four and out. Yeah, I think we'll see a lot of uh, Pat Sertain guarding – Hollywood Brown, for the most part, I know that last week, Hollywood dropped a touchdown. He was wide open. I think he also dropped another wide open pass. So um, kind of a revenge week for him, I guess, in that nature, when you when you put it that way. Um, but that's going to be a fun matchup to watch. Um, PS2, I, I think he'll be on um, Hollywood because so far, I think that Pat Sertain is the second highest graded uh, – rookie corner so far I think he's behind Nate Hobbs from the Raiders so um, that'll be a fun matchup for sure I think no doubt about that when you mentioned that brother one final game we're getting to it's probably the game of the week it could be the game of the year in some people's minds Tom Brady you could put Rob Gronkowski you could put Antonio Brown they're returning to Foxborough to face Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots for Sunday night football I kind of, you kind of know the outcome, but what, Kyle, what do you expect for this game? You mentioned that you should, you know, there, you might have an idea of what the outcome might be, but there just some part of me wants to take the Patriots in this game. <laughs> like, it, it's, I don't know what it is. And 
it's it's so hard to pick for the Patriots just because rookie quarterback, the roster is not on the same level as the Bucks. But man, it's Bill Belichick, and he knows Tom Brady better than anyone. There's no doubt about that. What he's going to be able to you know deploy defensively is going to be something to watch out for. I think Antonio Brown is going to be back, so that's going to be huge for the Bucks. Um, and then Gronk, you know, also returning. He's going to be a huge part of that offense. He already has been. He's been going off so far this season. But, yeah, no, it's just some part of me really wants to take it. <laughs> I don't know what it is. They're seven-point underdogs, Kyle. Yeah, they are. But, I mean, it's just something about that defense, man, that, that Patriots defense. It's It's been historically great. They got some young guys uh, to fill the needs that they needed to. And I, I think that if Mac Jones is, is solid offensively, if he doesn't turn the ball over, if he targets Jacoby Myers, their best guy, a little more than he has, they could end up being in a position to win. I'm going to take the Bucks just because of talent, just straight up. They're a better roster just in general in every single way. I think they um, that offense is going to be tough to stop. But if the Patriots defense is able to, you know, if they're able to put some pressure on Tom Brady, we've seen what that could do in the past. So I think uh, pass rush is going to be really important. Honestly, I'm going to take the Bucks, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots win this game. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm taking the Bucks, and the reason last week they got me for sure about the Bucks winning this game was against Jalen Ramsey, against Aaron Donald. Tom Brady still had 432 passing yards. Yeah, you know, that, that's a mark that he hasn't had yet. I'm pretty sure this year, and you know that's that's a good defense out there in LA with the Rams. And yeah. I think because of that, you know that, you know, and Brady was doing that without Antonio Brown last week. He was finding Chris Godwin, finding right. Mike Evans, finding his tight ends. You know, using, you know, even the minimal use for Leonard Fournette and, um. Ronald Jones, he was still finding them, and that led to 432 passing yards. That's four football fields for more than four football fields, technically. And, you know, we see Tom Brady throw for 300 yards. That's going to be for sure pretty much every single game. But, you know, for him to throw 432 yards against the Rams was big, even though he only threw for was it one touchdown and ran in another one yes, uh, last week. It's I think that really helped really – back up the answer that the Bucs are going to win this game. And now that you add Tom, Antonio Brown back into the mix, that's only going to help this offense even more um, on Sunday night. And that's what's scary about the Buccaneers offense. And I feel like Tom Brady just in general is that if they are down in the game, they're just going to get downfield in no time or what seems like no time. You know, I, I think that you're t completely right when you mentioned that passing yards total, because you can do that against the Rams you can do that against anyone if you're down in the game you're going to be passing for the most part so I'm never going to rule Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers out of the game you just can't so that's another reason why if this game is end up ending up close I think that if the Buccaneers are down with I don't know two or less minutes left and they need a drive to kick a field goal to win the game or even score a touchdown, I don't think there should be any doubts about that because we've seen it so far this season. They can get down the field in no time. And whether it's whether it's Godwin out there, whether it's A B running a go route and 
Um, Tom Brady just gets a perfectly placed pass along the sideline, and they can get the job done. So, yeah, you're completely right when you say that. I think the Bucks take it, but, man, it'll be a fun game, I think. I, I think it'll be a lot closer than some people expect, though, too. It's important perspective of how good Tom Brady is. I'm going to put this in a fantasy football perspective. Out of all the quarterbacks you think about in the NFL, or how mobile quarterbacks with Kyler Murray, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady's the top fantasy football quarterback right now. Wow. Yeah, I, I think, um, was it CBS? I, I think it was CBS who had them. Uh, they had Tom Brady number two on this week's rankings in terms of matchup, which is totally believable. Now, I mean, that defense is good. They they have mm-hmm. some really good concepts out there, and they have the stars to get the job done. But, man, Tom Brady's always going to be passing the rock. That's who he is. And especially in that offense and that system, they're going to keep doing it. So, yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, I didn't really expect him to be number one. I, I was thinking, you know, maybe top five. At the- Yeah, you would think, uh-huh. But, man, that's that's pretty wild. His rushing touchdown helped last week, Cal. Yeah, there's that, too. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Forgot about that. QB <laughs> sneak master. He really is. Yeah. Tom Brady is projected number four uh, ESPN consensus for PPR. All right. Before we close out our episode, NBA training camp uh, began this past week. It was media day for a lot of teams last week. Uh, this past week, we saw former Aztecs such as Jordan Shackle um, take fo- uh, be part of Media Day, seeing him in a Washington Wizards uh, uniform. Um, but when you look at a team like the Lakers, Kyle, who was um, plagued by injuries uh, last season, what are your expectations for the Lakers here in 2021-2022? Yeah, firstly, I'm going to go off your first point about Jordan Shackle. That was really cool. Um, if you don't know, San Diego State alum and He's going to be a lot of fun to watch out there playing with Beal, um, Kyle Kuzma, even you could throw him out there. So um, that's going to be an interesting team to watch. Hopefully he gets some play time. I think he will. He'll be a good player um, off the bench. He's a really solid shooter. But going back to your question on the Lakers, yeah, it's it was cool to see Russ out there, you know, wearing that Lakers um, jersey for the first time. I think that um, it's going to be special for him to be coming back home to play basketball in Los Angeles in terms of the rest of their roster it I think it is the oldest roster in the league if not I would be really surprised it should be (laughs) I was gonna say if not I would be surprised because I mean you take a look at the guys they've got you know even in this offseason Trevor Reeves at 36 Carmelo Anthony 37 Kent Bazemore 32 Wayne Ellington 33 Dwight Howard 35 LeBron is now 36 which is crazy to think about DeAndre Jordan is 33 years yep. old. So, I mean, I, I <laughs> Rondo is 35. Russell Westbrook is 32. Yeah, there is no doubt this is the oldest roster in the league. And I think you mix in a lot of these younger guys as well. Taylor Horton Tucker is 20 years old. Kendrick Nunn is 26. Malik Monk is 23. It's a really interesting combination of players coming together. But they're all coming together for one goal. They've all bought in for the reason of winning a championship. So I think that, um, you know, seeing the few guys that I did on media day and um, hearing them talk about the season and why they came to LA to, you know, get the job done. And then also hear LeBron and AD talk about having them in Los Angeles is really exciting. 
even though these guys are nearing the end of their careers, or it kind of seems like they are, right? I think that um, it could work. I really do think it could work just because of the talent these players still possess. I mean, even though a lot of these guys are older, they're going to be in role spots. We already saw that with Rondo and Dwight Howard last year when they when the Lakers won the ring, even though that was in the bubble and, and it was kind of an odd way to end the season. They still got the job done. You take a look at what they did last year, you could say the same thing about Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo. So I think the same thing applies to this team. Having DeAndre Jordan as your backup center is not bad. And then Carmelo <laughs> Anthony as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because – you could do so much with this lineup too is really what intrigues me about it. You could play AAD at the four, you could put him at the five and you could have Dwight Howard start a game. You can have him come off the bench. You can even have DeAndre Jordan start a game. And you get LeBron at the point guard. You could put LeBron, <laughs> you could put LeBron at the one, you could put Rondo at the one, you could put LeBron at the four if you wanted to. You could do anything you want with this roster. It seems like, so that's why I think it's going to be such an exciting year for the Lakers and Russell Westbrook really just adds an extra element of explosiveness to this lineup. Mm. I feel like that's what they need. Now the shooting, that's the biggest question. But I think they'll be okay because these guys that they brought in are notorious for, for being scorers, especially Carmelo Anthony. Um, seeing what he was able to do on the Blazers last year was really cool just because the year before he was, you know, a little bit inconsistent. But last year, he did have his really good bright spots that stood out to me. So I'm excited for it, man. I don't know what else to say. It's exciting. I think even though there's a bunch of old guys coming together, they could do it. Kyle, when you look at the entire NBA NBA uh, amongst all NBA teams, what's one thing you're looking forward to the most? Yeah, I think that it's just going to be an exciting time in the NBA just in general because of how stacked a lot of these teams are and um, what teams have done in the draft in free agency to get to the spots they are. And then all the younger stars as well, especially guys like LaMelo ball. Now I'm not saying the Hornets are going to end up winning the ring or anything like that, but just seeing what they're able to do um, will be exciting. Anthony Edwards, you can throw him on there. Um, A lot of really good young stars here in the game. I think the Nets are going to be tough to stop. The Bucks again, I think that's that's a no-brainer. Um, the Suns still have a good roster as well. The Jazz. Man, a lot of these teams are just really interesting because of the amount of talent they have and what they've been able to do. But also at the same time, a lot of teams aren't on the same wave, wavelength at the, as these other ones too. You could say that about the Magic, say that about the Thunder, you know, Um the bottom feeder teams, you know, it's going to be hard for them to even compete with the big dogs just because of the amount of talent they have. We've seen the league evolve from, you know, big threes to power duos. And now it's essentially super teams, I guess, at this point, because all the top teams are going to be stacked with talent. In case you're wondering, the, uh, the Charlotte Hornets are plus 10,000 to win the title. Yeah, there you go. So <laughs> that's another one right there. Um, yeah, I, I think that teams like them, um, the Bulls, I, I think that they do have a lot of really good talent. But 
Do they possess the talent that could take over the upper echelon of the NBA? Probably not. It's going to be tough to stop the Bucks. It's going to be tough to stop a team like the Heat even, the Nuggets, just because of what they have. So it's going to be exciting to see what happens with what comes up. I think we're a couple of weeks away from the start of the season. Um, but also I think what's going to be interesting to follow is potential trades that could go down before the season. Yeah, We've already seen what happened with Ben Simmons so far, how he wants out. He's not showing up to training camp. Where is he going to go? Yeah, he's going to be stopped somewhere. But who's going to – firstly, who's going to want him? Secondly, where is he going to play? What role is he going to have? You know, that'll be interesting to see. And I'm sure we're going to see other trades too that go down that are going to be head scratchers, that are going to be surprising, that will be equally intriguing just because of maybe they're – trying to fit some guys on their bench or even get some rotational guys in, you know, I mean, there's a lot that could happen here even before the season starts, but I'm excited. It's going to be a great year. I know that um, a lot of the, the uh, games on TNT on Tuesday and Thursdays are going to be ones to look forward to. And I'm excited yes. for that. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah. I think one player, I think I'm really excited to see is probably the return of Clay Thompson and what, He's going to add to that Warriors team. Um, you think about after the year that Seth Curry had, being the NBA scoring leader last year, you think about Draymond Green in a year where he had multiple times, almost 20 assists per game. I can't wait to see what Klay Thompson's going to add to that Warriors roster and to see the return of not just the Splash Brother, but the Splash Brothers um, here this year. Yeah, you're totally right about that. Um, they are definitely a team that I feel like is not talked about enough. Obviously, they probably don't have the talent that the Nets do, but, man, they really do have a solid roster. You you, you add Clay Thompson back to the mix and, you know, their lottery picks. What is it? Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga. They can be stars in the league one day as well. They brought in Otto Porter. Um James Wiseman will hopefully be healthy at some point to come back to them. And then bringing in Andre Iguodala as well. I think that'll be big for them in terms of veteran <laughs> presence. And then Jordan Poole, he's a young star, I think, in the league right now. He's he's going to be a great scorer um, in this league for a long time. So that's a, that's a really good team that you, people need to watch out for because they have some guys. There's no doubt about that. And then – you talk about these power rankings right now. ESPN right now has them at number 10. So that might even be a little low for them, I think. That's probably low. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it for us here on Downline for this week's episode. We thank you for tuning in. Next week, we're going to talk the MLB playoffs. We're going to talk a little bit more as we get closer into the NBA regular season starting in just a few weeks now that it's October 1st. We're going to talk some more football as we get into week five. We're going to talk some more fantasy football next week. Yeah, just another solid week of sports going to be coming up, obviously, on coming off of a great Ryder Cup for the United States with Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Dana Shaw, with the entire team of 12 beating the Europeans at 19 to 9. Most points scored, I think, since 1975, something like that. So, wow. A lot of great uh, sports going on, and the sports schedule just continues week after week. So we thank you for tuning into this week's.
down the line and we hope you tune in next week.